Hello, my praying people. I'm so excited to be back with you this week. In the last episode of this little mini series that we've been doing these past few weeks on um, faith versus doubt, on how to pray, and then we kind of bumped into praying the phrases like, is it right or is it wrong to pray um, if it be your will? And then in this episode, you're going to get the phrases unpacked in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you're in for a treat. I am sharing some um, teaching that I have done for many, many years, but somehow delivering this teaching to you right now at this moment in my life just gets me all excited all over again. (laughs) I have um, many good things to share with you. I'll be giving a personal update on some things going on in my own life in the next episode of the Prayer Clinic Podcast and uh, look forward to, to sharing that with you. I want to encourage you, if you enjoy the Prayer Clinic podcast, to please uh, give it a rating. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and share it on all of your social media platforms. It's such an easy way to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ and maybe for it to even be a testimony to those who don't yet know Him. So let's keep praying and be encouraged with this message. Way back in 2007, how many years ago would that be? Mercy me. Let's see, 2007 to 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Would that be 15 years ago? Oh my word. (laughs) I wrote a prayer study and it was um, a big one, like a 10-week prayer study called Pray Right. And it was actually, I think, the second book that I ever wrote or the second study on prayer that I wrote um, um, yeah, it has an, an introductory week and then nine weeks of study and I actually called them workouts. So I guess we were working out our prayer lives in this study and maybe I'll revisit this manuscript and, and rewrite or, or, um, repurpose or put it back out there for people to learn from. But when I look back at that prayer study, I realized that there were a whole lot of very solid, um, teachings that I did as a part of that study. And one of them was an entire workout week that we spent on the concept of praying in Jesus' name. And I told you in the last episode of the uh, Prayer Clinic podcast that I recorded that I was going to wrap up kind of this this um, little mini-series we were doing on what it means to pray with faith or to pray without faith and faith versus doubt. Those are the things we've been talking about and that I would capture some of the phrases. And we did talk about the phrase of, if it be your will. And then I mentioned that we would also then cover the phrases, in Jesus' name and amen. And typically, we use these phrases when we're closing out our prayer. It's almost like a formal um, benediction, like a sealing of the envelope and putting the stamp on the letter and sticking it in the mailbox. It's kind of like, In Jesus' name, envelope sealed, Um, amen, lick the stamp, stick it in the mailbox and send it on its way. But there's so much more to these two phrases, in Jesus' name and amen. And in this particular podcast, we're going to unpack what um, those phrases mean so that when we're saying them in our prayers, we can say them understanding what exactly it is that we're saying. And therefore, we're going to be able to tap into the power, the very big power that we get to tap into 
as a part of applying not just those words to our prayers, but the meaning of those words to our prayers. So um, let's begin. And I'm going to begin by praying. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear what it is you have for us, that you would open my mouth to say what you want said in these few minutes together with podcast listeners, and that together we would embrace the beautiful mystery of prayer, and that we would um, be excited about the privilege and the power that we have in our prayer lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So I went back and looked at some of my notes when I wrote that chapter, and I had a couple of really cute um, illustrations that came from the prayers of children. And I want to bounce into starting off my conversation by sharing some of those with you just for fun. So three-year-old Reese said this prayer, Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. Amen. (laughs) A little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. And then another little girl, Caitlin, um, had been, well, this uh, phrase says that her daddy, Caitlin's dad, had been teaching her um, the Lord's Prayer, and they would repeat it at uh, bedtime. And one night she decided to go solo, and she got right up to the very end of the Lord's Prayer, and this is what she said. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us some email. Amen. (laughs) I love it. And then a four-year-old little boy prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. Actually, he might have gotten the words wrong, but he certainly had the meaning right. And then a a particular wife invited some people to dinner, and she turned to their six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? And the little girl said, I wouldn't know what to say. And so the mama said, just say what you hear mommy say. And so the little girl bowed her head and she said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? (laughs) Those were shared just for a few little giggles, because it is funny to listen to children um, begin to understand the concept of prayer. And I think, though, that the Bible is right on. Obviously, I think the Bible's right on. But when Jesus even encouraged us to pray like little children, because they don't make it so complicated. They're just praying what they're learning to pray, what they know to pray, how, what it makes sense to them to pray. And their prayers are ho- so heard in heaven because they're pure and they're innocent. And they come out of hearts that are that are eager to know Him. But it's not a laughing ordeal to um, pray and put the effort into prayer and yet not pray correctly. In fact, James 4.3 actually warns us that um, we ask and don't receive because we ask wrongly. So praying for the wrong things and praying in the wrong way is not funny at all. And um, we have been given some powerful promises from the very mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and every one of these promises are speaking of what we can expect when we pray in the name of Jesus. So let me read a few of these to you. John fourteen thirteen. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then verse 14, right after that, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
And then John 16, 23, and that day you will not ask me anything. I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And then verse 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be complete. And then John 16, 26 and 27, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not telling you that I will make requests to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so the Bible teaches, and Jesus just reiterated in both um, chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, that when we pray in the name of Jesus, that we will have what we've asked for. It's a it is a path to the success of our prayer lives. Now, the question is, though, is simply saying in Jesus' name a, a formula for instant access to God and success in our prayers? Does it genuinely function like a postage stamp on an envelope and assure that our request makes its way to heaven and then is opened by God, who is eager to deliver exactly what we've asked for, as if he is... Um, personified by Santa Claus in the North Pole. Does God actually give us everything and anything that we ever ask in the name of Jesus? And if he doesn't, then is God's word ever not true? If God's word is always true, and if we even once or twice pray in Jesus' name and fail to receive what we're asking for, then what is amiss? What is going wrong? So, In this conversation that I'm having with you, I want to give answers to these questions, kind of clear up this seeming contradiction in our prayer lives. Let's consider and step into the meaning of a name. Why is it that that we're told to ask in the name of Jesus? Let's start by understanding the biblical significance of a name. Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And in Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, a good name is better than precious ointment. In the biblical times, names were much more than a way to identify one person from another. The names that people had um, were representative of their character or their destiny or their purpose. And the origin of our last names are similar to this. Like, for instance, my mother's last name was Smith, and most likely her European ancestors were blacksmiths or silversmiths, or I like to think they were goldsmiths. <laughs> but whatever they were, Smith was a what became their name because that's what they did. God changed people's names sometimes in Bible times to represent their place in his plan. Abram, became Abraham. So Abram, exalted father, became Abraham, father of nations. Um, Sarai um, became Sarah, and her name Sarah meant princess of a multitude. So um, Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. His name changed from supplanter or deceiver to one who wrestles with God and overcomes Israel. And so names go on and on. Simon's name became Peter because upon this rock, the rock of Peter's faith, Jesus was going to build his church. The name of Jesus itself carries with it his character, his destiny, and his purpose. His name does mean Savior of the world, one who saves. Listen to what the Holman Treasury of Key Bible Words says about Jesus' name. 
In modern times, many people name their children according to how the name sounds, or sometimes children are named after a caring relative. Our names became our identity, but not necessarily because the name itself describes us, we define the name. In ancient times, however, a name signified one's identity. A name described the person and was not just a tag or a label. In keeping with this ancient tradition, Joseph was told by an angel that he should name his son Jesus because it is he who will save his people from their sins. That's Matthew 1, 21. The name Jesus signifies two important aspects of our Lord and Savior. First, it means that he is Yahweh. Second, it means that he is the Savior. This is not our Lord's first name. It is his primary name. He is Jesus. He is Yahweh the Savior. Asus is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, meaning Yahweh shall save. Although Yeshua was a common name among the Jews, the name uniquely expresses, his, expresses Jesus' work on earth to save and to deliver. So my friends, when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying inside of the boundaries of his person, his character. We're praying in Jesus' name. We're praying toward the same destiny that he has already secured, the same one that we have yet to grasp. We're praying according to his purpose. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying that we identify with him, but that what we're praying is going to be honoring to him. In fact, praying in Jesus' name means to pray, in three ways. I'm going to break these down for you. The first is we're praying by the authority of Jesus. We're coming in the name of Jesus, in his authority. We're praying in harmony with Jesus, not in disharmony or in resistance to or in contrast to. And then thirdly, we're praying our prayers that are sanctioned by Jesus. So let's talk about each of these three things that praying in Jesus' name means. Praying by the authority of Jesus, praying in harmony with Jesus, and prayers that are sanctioned by Jesus. The first one, when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray by the authority of Jesus. Um, there have been a lot of uh, places that we're not welcome to go because you'll see a door that says unauthorized personnel keep out. Or you might see a door that has a sign that says authorized personnel only. Well, when I see doors like that, my first response to a sign like that is, whoa, I have to stay out of there. I'm not welcome on the other side of that. I've got no business there. I need to stay where I am, even if what I want might be on the other side of that door. But there's other people who have personalities that when it says, you know, unauthorized personnel not admitted here or whatever it says, authorized personnel only, they say, well, I will authorize myself and move right ahead. <laughs> My husband's one of those kind of people. Years ago when we were in seminary, we were um, sent on a rescue call by his mama. She called us from Tennessee. We were in Fort Worth, Texas, and her aging and um, suffering from Alzheimer's dad had gotten away from home, and um, they'd lost him, really, for a little bit of time when the Dallas police, I think, called her in Tennessee, and she then called us because we were in Fort Worth, and we went over to Dallas, um, drove over there to the county hospital to look for grand granddad. Well, when we got there, um, it was a room full. There was a room full of people, you know, in a typical emergency room late at night in a great big city, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to be here for hours. 
there was a door at the emergency room waiting area that said no unauthorized personnel admitted or authorized personnel only. Honestly, I can't remember how the phrase goes. Anyway, I saw the door and I went, oh my goodness, and I sat down. Tom saw the door and he just pushed it right open and said, come on, we're going back here. And I thought, oh my word, we're in the wrong part of the hospital. We're going where we're not supposed to go. And do you know that not one person stopped us on the other side of that door? Everybody was so busy doing their own thing. They didn't even notice that we were there. Tom said, just walk like you think you belong here. And we walked like we thought we belonged there. And then he was able to pick up his grandfather, who was just sitting out in the hallway on a little gurney, um, eating uh crackers and drinking a, a Coke of some kind. <laughs> and so we got granddad, we packed him back up, we went back to Fort Worth, and we were able to um, make not a whole night of the ordeal. And the whole reason being that when Tom saw the authorized personnel only, he decided that there was no reason in the world why he could not go there. He did not allow that door to keep him out. Well, when we're praying we um, are entering into a place with a God who is holy and just and righteous, and he's, he's rules, like he rules. He rules over all that is. He spoke the world into existence. He, he um, holds it all together. He knows the beginning from the end. He is high and lifted up, high above any ruler, any authority, both in the seen world and the unseen world. This could be tremendously intimidating. And who are we? You'd have to be pretty full of yourself to think that you could just march right into his room and ask for anything, even if you asked it humbly. But um, it, it is simply off limits. There's no way that we, um, as, as uh, how do we say, less than what he is, can we um, so much smaller than his bigness, can we enter into a place like that and feel like we're at all um, in a place that is okay to be? In fact, you can read all throughout the Old Testament of various um, scenarios where people happened to um, take it upon themselves to think it was okay for them to barrel in to the presence of God. In fact, if you remember way back in Exodus, when God's glory fell on the top of the mountain and Moses was told to go up to the mountain and to spend time in the presence of God in order to receive the instructions from God, that all of the people were told to keep their distance from the mountain lest they be smoked. They would be smoked and they would be wiped out. They would be annihilated. And so the people kept their distance. But then later on, when the people began to get um, agitated and angry and frustrated and confused over the direction of God and the, and the demands of God, then they would rise up. One time they rose up against Moses and Aaron, against God's leadership. And what happened? The earth literally swallowed them whole. It just opened up and in they went. And there's several things in the Old Testament that allow us to see how off limits the glory of God is to um, man in his sin-stained condition. And then, lo and behold, if the glory of God did not choose to come to earth in the 
the wrapped up in the body of a man to lower himself and humble himself to become a man and to walk among us and to teach us and to show us and to be the personification, the actual bodily expression of God himself. And then you know what Jesus did. He himself took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of what separated us from a holy God. And he, God allowed it to be placed on Jesus's shoulders. And Jesus himself died, paid the penalty. Um, the, what, what, um, what consequence had to be exacted for the price tag of sin, Jesus willingly paid. He gave his own life in exchange for ours. And so when we're praying in Jesus' name, we come to God in the authority of Jesus. We can walk behind the no unauthorized personnel permitted or only authorized personnel permitted signs. We can walk and press through that door like my good husband did that night in Dallas. And we can know that we are welcome into the very throne room of God. You see, Jesus paved the way for us to be authorized. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, what we say is, we're coming, Lord, into your throne room the way that we've been invited to come because we come in the name of Jesus. It's by the authority of Jesus that we come. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, we enter into personal audience with God. Not by our own merit, but by his. Um, praying in Jesus' name means praying with authorized entrance to the heart of God Almighty through the beautiful, powerful, and precious name of Jesus. Secondly, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying in harmony with Jesus. In other words, we are praying um, for the, the petitions that are aligned with the heart of Jesus. So um, when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in oneness with him. This is just what Jesus um, prayed for us in John chapter 17, right before he was going to the cross. He was praying, oh God, I've come that they might be one, I and you and you and me and they and us, that we all might be one so that the glory of God could be seen. And of course, that's where he also talks about how the world's going to know that we belong to God because of how we love each other. And so when we're in oneness with each other, when we're in cahoots, when we're we're getting along and we're encouraging and we're lifting up and helping to bear the load with each other. Just by doing that, the world recognizes an expression of divine love living among us. So um, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying according to his purposes, his plans, and his will. You see, we're, um, we're praying in oneness with him. When we pray in harmony or oneness with him, we are marrying our desires to his good pleasure. You see, it's a it's a letting go of any agenda that would be contrary to what he would want. 
when he responds to these prayers that we yield to him and make one with his desires, we are sure when the answers come to point out that all the praise and the honor and the glory belong to him because he's the one who is worthy of it, not we ourselves. We would never consider ourselves worthy of such honor. You know, even if you think about in the New Testament, when Peter and um, John healed the man that was lame in the temple, when the people were amazed that the miracle had happened, they their response to the people was, why are you so amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though it was by our own power or godliness that we made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus by bringing this miracle about. You see, God enjoys bringing honor to himself when he brings answers to the prayers that we pray that are aligned with his purposes and his plan. So when we pray in harmony with Jesus, we're entering in to the intimacy of sharing his heart. When we share our heart with his and allow ourselves to bow down under his better discernment, his perfect knowledge, his... Um, his love and compassion for us, when we allow our desires to be immersed in that, and then we're saying, in Jesus' name, and being satisfied that whatever results is what is his desire, then we're giving glory to God the Father. And then thirdly, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're offering prayers that are sanctioned by him, sanctioned by him. So praying in Jesus' name is kind of like a filter. Um, Lord, hear me and take what I'm saying and then rearrange it, change it, fix it so that you make it into what I really need. My friends, sometimes I imagine that when I'm praying, God and Jesus are sitting there side by side and, and Jesus is listening to me intently and translating my heart to the ears and the heart of his father. When um, every once in a while, he might kind of give a funny look because something I'm praying may not be um, really that, uh, how do you say, um, he might not be that proud of what I'm saying because what I'm saying might be contrary to what would please God. And when he hears that, I, I think of him turning to God or God turning to Jesus and saying, did she just say what I think she said? Surely she didn't mean it. And then Jesus smiles kind of a tentative little grin. And then he breaks into a laugh when he hears me say, in Jesus name, amen. And immediately then Jesus turns to God, the father, and he goes, this is what she meant. And with that, long after I've gotten up from my prayer time and gone on my merry way, I sense that Jesus and his loving Heavenly Father linger on for hours discussing how best to respond to my heart's sometimes very confused little plea. So my friends, praying in Jesus' name is powerful. But don't for one second think that it's a secret formula or a magic wand. You see, God answers our hearts, not our mouths. Words are only as powerful as the hearts they flow from. So when we say in Jesus' name, we're dousing everything that we've talked to God about in the goodness, in the holiness, in the sacrifice, in the love of Jesus. We're allowing our prayer to be authorized by Jesus, 
to be in one with Jesus and to be sanctioned by Jesus. So the things that we're asking in Jesus' name, let's make sure that they reflect the heartbeat and um, the, the passion, the purposes of God. I want to transition here and talk about the very last phrase that I want to say, and that is amen. So what do we mean when we say amen? I think that um, it's a beautiful conclusion to the prayer. We know that when somebody says amen, the prayer is over. But amen means more than that. And I have to share with you that what I'm sharing with you came from, most of it came from an article that I read on a great website. If you've ever got questions, then go to gotquestions.org. And basically, you can just write in your question and an article will pop up that will help you um, answer it. So I actually wrote in the question, why do we end our prayers with amen? And here was the answer. The Hebrew word translated amen literally means truly or so be it. Amen is found in the Greek New Testament and has the same meaning. And so both in the Hebrew language and the Greek, nearly half of the Old Testament uses of amen are found in the book of Deuteronomy. Think about that. Half of the Old Testament uses of amen are found in the book of Deuteronomy. And in each case... The people are responding to curses pronounced by God on various sins. So each pronouncement is followed by the words, and all the people shall say, Amen. So when God is giving instructions, and as a part of giving those instructions, he's delivering curses. He's saying, if this happens, then this is to be carried out. This punishment, this curse, this, this will be a result of that. And the people say, amen, it indicates that the people are applauding, agreeing wholeheartedly with the righteousness and God's um, righteousness, his, uh, how do you say, his um, position to be in the seat that gets to uh, uh, deliver such curses. And so when the people are hearing these curses, they applaud the righteous sentence handed down by their holy God by responding, so let it be. So God delivers a curse. The people's response is, so let it be. In other words, we align ourselves with this and we agree to live inside the boundaries that are set for us by the Lord God Almighty. And so the amen attested to the conviction of the hearers that the sentences which they heard were true, just, and certain. Now think about this. This is when God is showing people what is right and what is wrong and how, where the boundaries lie. I want you to live this way, not that way. And when you live that way, this will be the result. So be it. We agree. We agree to the rules and we will live inside the boundaries. Back to my article. Seven of the Old Testament references link amen with praise. The sentence, then all the people said amen and praise the Lord. Is found in First Chronicles sixteen thirty six, and typifies the connection between Amen and praise. In Nehemiah five thirteen and eight six, the people of Israel affirm Ezra's exalting of God by worshiping the Lord and obeying Him. The highest expression of praise to God is obedience. And when we say Amen to His commands and pronouncements, our praise is sweet music to His ears. Why is obedience the highest form of praise? 
It's because obedience is trust lived out. Obedience is our confidence in God fleshed out. When we choose to obey, what is it the old hymn said? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we trust, we're going to obey. It's us yielding ourselves. It's us humbling ourselves. It's us saying amen and praise the Lord. It's us saying the line is drawn here, so be it. I choose to live with the line here and praise the Lord, it is good. So this is where we draw the line and it is good because I trust you. I trust your heart. I trust your character. I trust your knowledge, your wisdom, your discernment, your understanding. I trust your authority and I choose to yield myself to it. Oh, my friends, too many people today have decided that they can live beyond the trustworthy boundaries that God has given us and they, in their pride, their ignorant, arrogant pride, think that they have been the first ones to discover that life can actually be lived beyond the lines. But here's the truth of it. From the very beginning of time, God has given us the opportunity to either honor and praise his holy name by living inside the boundaries and the lines that he assigns us or on our own free will and um, ability to go beyond those lines. The thing that baffles me the most is those many, and me sometimes included, who go beyond the lines and then blame God for the results of that, as if it's somehow his fault that consequences came our way. You see, you cannot be angry with God if you're not willing to be yielded to God. Amen is saying, I yield myself to you. Amen is saying, so be it, to where you've drawn the line. And so the way we live our amen is in obedience to the rules. And then we give praise to God when we are pleased to live that way inside the boundaries that God has set for our own good and his glory. The article goes on to say most of the New Testament writers use amen at the end of their epistles. The Apostle John uses it in the King James Version at the end of his gospel, two of his three letters in the book of Revelation, where it appears nine times. Each time it is connected with praising and glorifying God and referring to the second coming and the end of the age. Paul says amen to the blessings he pronounces on all the churches in his letters to them, as do Peter and Jude in their letters. The implication is that they're saying, may it be that the Lord will truly grant these blessings upon you. Isn't that beautiful? When we say amen, we are saying, let it be so in your life. Let what I have petitioned, let what I have requested, let God's best for you be so in your life. When Christians say amen at the end of our prayers, we're following the model of the apostles, asking God to please let it be so as we have prayed. Remembering the connection between amen and the praise of obedience, all prayers should be prayed according to the will of God. Then when we say amen or so be it, we can be confident that God will respond, so be it, and grant our request. 
And then my friends, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 that says, All God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus, so that we may shout amen to the glory of God. You see, when we pray the promises of God, we're literally praying those boundaries that God set. We're praying those expectations that God has told us that we can embrace if we choose to live inside the lines of his love. And when we choose to live inside the lines of his love and we take hold of a promise of a guarantee that he's given us in his word and we apply it to the circumstances going on in our lives that seem to be contrary to all that is good and not align with what is God's good purpose, then we apply that promise to that situation and we take hold of it and we keep our eyes focused on God, then we understand that that promise is yes in Christ Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that promise is yes. And we shout, so be it to the glory of God. And we live on this side of the delivering of that promise as if God's already done it because we trust him that much. Ooh, that, my friends, when we can live that way and encourage each other to live that way, whoo, this morning Tom preached on the dry bones rattling. We'll be hearing some dry bones rattling. And I'm telling you what. The church of the living Lord Jesus Christ will be rising up and experiencing the power of God like the world is eager to experience. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Prayer Clinic Podcast. I want to remind you that the Prayer Clinic is an organized way of um, doing intercessory prayer ministry in your church. But more than just like the intercessory prayer ministry, even though that's not like a tiny little thing, it's like one of the most uh, significant, powerful, important things we can be doing in the church. But more than that, the prayer clinic ministry will mobilize your church to pray. If you want your church to be praying more, the prayer clinic ministry can help you do that. Through the prayer clinic ministry, we connect prayer leaders with each other for encouragement, for support, for ideas, for um, for education. Then we also provide resources galore for your people to be equipped to both pray for others, but then also just to grow in their own prayer lives. I want to encourage you to go check out prayerclinic.com to learn all about specifically the prayer clinic ministry. Participate in our virtual open house. Share this with um, the prayer clinic. If you like what you see when you get there, share it with the people that make those decisions in your church. And um, I promise I will talk to you. I will get on Zoom with you. I'll fly to where you are. Do whatever it is that I need to do to help you um, develop and grow a prayer culture in your congregation so that your people are praying. And God says, if my people pray, then I'm going to heal their land. And if there was ever a time that our land needed healing, it is now. So let's be about it, I pray, my praying people. I want you to share uh, this podcast and then also check out the Prayer Clinic Ministry. I look forward to being with you next time.